Hi, Vintage Guitar people. Welcome to Have Guitar, Will Travel, presented by Vintage Guitar Magazine, with your host, me, James Patrick Regan, otherwise known as Jimmy from the Deadlies. And today, it's all things Martin. First, I'm speaking with Thomas Ripsom, president and CEO of CF Martin, and then I'm speaking with Chris Martin, the great-great-grandson of the original CF Martin, and the current owner and chairman of the board of the company. Finally, I'm spending a little time with Rich Robinson of the Black Crows, who is the latest artist to have a Martin model dedicated to the guitar he grew up playing and is on the early hits he penned in the band. With Thomas, we cover his work history as a corporate strategist and his passion for guitars and music. We talk about his early guitars, his first Martin, and some of the other guitars in his collection. We discuss his education and education at work and his methods of problem solving. We talk about the challenges the past year have held and the fan base of Martin players out there. We talk about Martin's mantra of always using the best materials available. Thomas tells me about his two-and-a-half-hour commute each way to Nazareth, Pennsylvania to work at Martin. We talk about his family life, and Thomas tells me about the long-term future of the company. We talk about his musical tastes and his collection of instruments, including some South American instruments and a Rickenbacker 4003, instruments he uses while he records. And Thomas tells me how he manages to keep his body and mind fit. We talk about his band Seeds of Imagination and his release from that band Soul Shrine that you can hear on all the streaming services. Services or at this link, seedsofimagination.herenow.com. We talk about the strength of the guitar playing community, and Thomas talks about the new Rich Robinson model and the collaborations coming online in the near future. You can find out about all things Martin at their website, martinguitar.com. That's M-A-R-T-I-N-G-U-I-T-A-R.com. Please like, comment, and most of all, share this podcast. I'd really appreciate it. And please support Vintage Guitar Magazine and all the wonderful things they do for us guitar players because they do so many wonderful things for us guitar players. Here's Thomas. Hey, Thomas, how are you? Hi, James. How are you doing today? Good. Very good. Yeah. How about yourself? Good, good. Very good. Where are you at right now? <laughs> I'm in uh, Nazareth, so at, uh, at Martin. At Martin headquarters. And what guitar is that on the wall right, yes. right there to your left? Oh, that's actually a D26, believe okay. it or not. There is something like a D26, yeah. And and then I have a few prototypes here also. <laughs> oh, very good. What are the prototypes that you have there? Oh, just some, some SCs. Uh, yeah, SCs. Here, you might be able to see this. Oh, actually, yeah, yeah. that was one of the, the versions that turned into our custom shop eventually. Uh, so, yeah. Very good. That's what I have here. And what, and you're, you're a player? What do you play? Um, I have right here. I have a slot head D twenty eight S from nineteen seventy four. Oh wow, lovely! And and what kind of uh, music do you play? Do you oh do you I a play, picker? Yeah, I play everything on that guitar specifically. I play a little bit of slack key and oh okay. But I I play I um I have a surf band and so I play other other instruments as well. But the that sounds cool. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Excellent. But that that particular guitar is very good for uh, slack key. It is. Uh, it meets the body meets the neck at the twelfth fret, and it's super, oh, okay. and it's so it's super boomy, and very full very full sound all the way around. So I excellent, love, love that guitar. Excellent. How is how has it been so far? For your first, I, I guess it hasn't been a year. It's been only been a few months. No, no, no. It's actually been a little bit more than a year. Oh, okay. Right? So I start I started last year in uh, June, mid June. Uh huh. So it's been a a little bit over a year. And it's been quite a year. So oh, as yeah. as you know, yeah. lots of stuff happening in our industry. So uh, it's been fantastic. Um, really great, great start. And, you know, I'm still 
incredibly excited to to be part of Martin and yeah, help help to move the company forward. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And before <laughs> your before your history at Martin, you were a strategist. Um, <laughs> yeah, that sounds very ominous. Yeah, I I basically worked uh, in consulting, and you know worked with companies in the consumer goods industry, retail. So a lot of specialty retail companies as well as high tech to uh, <laughs> help them on their most strategic topics, right? Growth, innovation. Uh-huh. Uh, a lot was about how do we stay relevant with consumers um, in a changing world? How do we better leverage technology, right? Um, too, and, and I've also worked with a lot of other longstanding companies with a long history and legacy, often family or privately owned. Um, and so, you know, some of the topics I just mentioned, right, they're probably not a surprise to you when you think about Martin, sure. but those topics are also pretty important topics for, for a Martin company. Oh, yeah. yeah, of course. And I, I did, so my prior work, right, so I did that for over 25 years. So that was one part of me. But then, James, the other thing that's also a really important part of me is uh, since since my teen years, I've been playing guitars, all kinds of guitars, uh-huh. by the way. And, you know, it's it's been a, a true passion for me for life. Um, and I, I love to write and create music um, and and the whole process of, Basically, from the idea to the you know recording, mixing, mastering, sure. collect guitars, and I followed the industry basically throughout my life. And so, to finally be able to to combine my passions, um, that's really what made this so exciting for me. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, to to become part of yeah, become part of it. You grew up in Germany. Whereabouts in Germany? So I grew up in the south of Germany in a city called Ulm, which is between Stuttgart and Munich. So probably kind of that area, uh-huh. right south of Germany, right at the Danube. Uh, so I, I grew up there. And then after college, left to go to the U.S. Okay. And since then, the U.S. has been my home. I'm actually a citizen now. Oh, U.S. congratulations. Citizen. Yeah. congratulations and that's where I, I grew think. up, south of Germany. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so playing guitar, what? Who are you listening to as a, uh, in in that section of Germany? Who were you? Uh, probably the Beatles. Maybe I don't know. You're you're post Beatles, so it, it could have been Kiss. <laughs> well, well, actually, yeah, exactly. No, my my dad actually had a, a still a, a a singles collection. Remember singles, oh, sure, the vinyls. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and so I would I would listen actually as a, a child a lot to to his music and you know. Elvis Presley actually jumped out as as one of the the artists that somehow and it was Elvis Presley, but probably more importantly Scotty Moore. Oh yeah. Um, the early recordings, you know, from the fifties. Somehow that I connected with that. That was probably my initial uh, connection with the guitar, and somehow guitars they became my favorite instrument. And then in my teens, I started to branch out to progressive. If, uh, you know, yes, I'm, I'm a big yes fan. Okay. And, uh, Steve Howe, of, of course. course. Yeah. Uh, Pink Floyd, right? David Gilmore, yeah. Genesis. Um, so the progressive genre. But um, then it branched out. And, you know, I, I would say I, I love a lot of different uh, type of music nowadays. And I listen actively. Um, and that's guitar players, but then also the bands. For, you know, whether, whether you think about independent, independent music i listen to metal and i i actually love metal uh of course i love bluegrass and and the country genre uh-huh. um including all the way back 
back to the Carter family, you know, the early recordings. Yeah. Uh, two, two more electronic music, um, you know, Radiohead, uh, Stereo Lab, Sonic Youth, uh, th those kind of, Sonic Youth is probably more independent, but yeah. yeah it's it's a broad spectrum, and you know my my guitar collection I think uh, follows. Uh, it's probably also fairly broad because you know I, I typically think about instruments in the context of artists that played them, sure, or play them. Mm -hmm. Right, that's what often inspires me. And then um, you know my my own playing and writing. I think it's a it's a little bit of a mix of these different influences. You know, some progressive, some rock, some blues. Um, but also electronic stuff as well gets into the mix. So, yeah, that's that's a little bit of a flavor yeah. uh, and, of, and of who I listen to. What was your first guitar? Oh, my first guitar. Uh, I don't even want to mention it because it was a horrible. <laughs> it was it was not a good uh, acoustic guitar. My first real Martin was an MC68, okay. and that uh, that's what I consider my first real uh, acoustic guitar. Um, you know. And on the electric side, I have I have some uh, uh, Stratocasters, Telecasters, the, the traditional stuff, uh -huh. uh, as well. Now also some more acoustic, uh, eclectic, uh, boutique instruments. But yeah, my my first I would say real acoustic guitar was really a Martin, and okay. it was the MC68. Okay. And I still have it, and it's uh, oh, you know being with a family, and I love it. Very good, very good. When you took the job. Did did people like Eric Schoenberg and and George Groon? Did they did they coach you up? Oh, absolutely! I I actually have to first of all I have to say um, that the industry was incredibly welcoming, right? To somebody who, who was not an an insider for for right uh, a life, um, but everybody has been very welcoming, and yeah, of course, people like Schoenberg and, and George Groon. Uh, it was wonderful. To, to, to meet meet and talk to them and and uh, you know meet with with our partners on both the the channel side right dealers distributors but also the suppliers um, as you know we we, uh, we have lots of different suppliers sure um, around the world and so just just to learn about that whole ecosystem initially uh, it was wonderful and then last year I was able to start with the Nashville summer NAM yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so my my first year, you know, a lot was really about uh, learning, right? learning about the industry, learning about, frankly, Martin, the, the company, the culture, the people, um, uh, the history and um, the family, all that. Sure. So but back to your question, um, I had I had a lot of uh, really great advice and coaching and, and people being very open and, and uh, as I said, you know, embracing me, uh, which which was wonderful to see. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And and just and going back to you mentioned college. So what what do you study in college to become a strategist? <laughs> I studied international business oh, okay. in college. So I, I studied in uh, Germany for two years, but then also two years in London, so England, uh -huh. um, and. So that's what I studied, and then later on I did my MBA actually at Columbia University, Columbia Business School in New York City as well. Uh -huh. So um, you know, so so that was the formal education. But I worked for companies like Booz Allen Hamilton Consulting Firm that that is known and was known for strategy consulting, uh -huh. um, and you know a lot of the 
just like like everywhere, right? The the real experience comes also from actually solving problems yeah. and doing it repeatedly and working with people to figure out, you know, how do how do we tackle different problems and and the problems that I usually tackle they were just often a very important, right? Growing or not growing or not being profitable, yeah. um, but but usually also problems where I often needed to work with the entire senior leadership team of a company uh, and and to make real change happen. Sure. Right. So so yeah, part of it comes from the formal education, but I think uh, most of it comes from spending 25 years of on the ground working with companies, doing it and getting the experience from that. Right. Yeah. With Martin, is one of the issues uh, sourcing material? How do you resolve that? Well, I think, um, first of all, Martin has been a, around for a long time, right? So there is obviously a very established network and, and practices of how we go about it. I think where the challenges come in, clearly near term with COVID and the pandemic and some of the transportation issues, right, that I think everybody had to deal with. Um, as well as just just the the greater volatility around when certain materials are available, um, it definitely required us to you know be be flexible in terms of alternatives, yeah. right? But also being able to adjust, uh, working with customers, our customers, um, as well as working in production uh, to make sure we we were able to to make best use of what was available. Luckily. We actually didn't experience a lot of material shortages per se. Okay, it was more you know delays that we had to deal with, right? Like transportation delays sure. that caused more the the challenges. So I think that's maybe more the the short term, right? Obviously, long term as as you also know with the tone woods that we use, those in particular, we we need to be open. To, to broaden the spectrum, and Martin, I think, in general, has been quite quite good to think about alternative materials, right? Like, like for example, ebony. Yeah. Uh, Martin used Ridgelite, right? So, so I think the the mid to longer term challenge, James, is is to have an open mind and be knowledgeable about what's possible sure. in terms of materials, and then also think about when you make changes, especially changes that are related to products that have a history yeah uh, the market acceptance i think is is a is a big part of of how you need to think about it yeah. right uh, but i mean so so far so good uh, yeah martin guitar owners are and and fans are fanatical they're fanatical about the brand and they don't they don't take changes say whereas gibson maybe or fender they're a little more, apart from the shapes, they're a little more yeah. uh, reticent to uh, change. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I think, um, I, I do think uh, there, there's part of the, the Martin consumer base that that knows a lot about the history, right? And obviously, to your point, they're, they're incredibly knowledgeable <laughs> about uh, the models. You know, but, but if you think about, forward right thinking forward yeah and the generations to come um you know we we know for sure for some of the the current consumers at all at all ages as well as as a lot of the younger audiences 
you know, the, the sustainability aspect, the kind of the materials you use and why um, they don't necessarily bring this historic expectation. Yeah. And, and in some cases also have, have uh, additional or different things that matter importantly to them as well. Right. So I think it's, it's a, it, yeah, a little bit, the, the thing here is that the timing time horizons and, and how the world is moving uh-huh. and then how do you adapt to where the world is moving right in terms of what consumers are looking for yeah. what's available which is a big deal and it, it's interesting when you look at the history of of martin i mean there's a lot of talk about using the best available uh, materials sure even right if you go 100 years back and so i i think that is kind of the the mantra here what is the best available material given the the needs the circumstances right and and obviously the one thing I, I think that is really important for us, and I, I think that's so core, and we're, we're, we're not going to deviate from that, is ultimately it is about the sound, and it is about playability when we talk about guitars, and it is about the aesthetics. Um, and so so it's a, a number of things that, that we've cared for so long about, and, and we're not going to deviate from that, right? That's yeah. I think that's really important. <laughs> of, of course. And, and, I hope that makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense, absolutely. And younger younger players might be more willing to see if if they saw something other than spruce on the top, they or rosewood, they they might be more <laughs> willing to accept it, and it could become the legacy instrument for those kids later on down the road. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Brazilian rosewood is a good example. Brazilian rosewood is a good example, right? Where at some point, I mean, it it was the the tone wood for the backs and sides and and then things changed and, and and now right if you think about availability the affordability um it has shifted to other rosewood types and so yeah it's it's a journey on the is there is there any thought to capitalizing on older martins so and and i should say how about NFTs? Have you guys thought about NFTs, like with the with the new Martins, so that you could? Uh... <laughs> yeah, so so we're looking at all things that are that are potentially um, important out there, and yes, we're we're definitely looking at NFTs as well because it, it it is certainly a concept that is becoming more relevant in the music industry and different parts of the industry. Yes, we're looking at that, and then I think the other the other part we're clearly also looking at is, given our, our history and kind of how far we can go back in terms of instruments. I mean, there's just there's just a lot of um, data and and knowledge around about you know consumers how they like to engage with the instrument, um, and and that's not just about the new instruments that we sell. It's the whole installed base, and as you know, we we recently announced the 2.5 millionth guitar. Yeah, I mean, and there are users out there, right? Two and a half million guitars, Martin guitars. You know what we are definitely looking at is how can we also connect with the broad Martin consumer base, right? Whether they are new customers, existing customers, whether they own vintage guitars, and are there things we can learn about how they use vintage guitars, what they like, what they they don't like you probably know about our authentic series but you also probably know about our modern deluxe series where we we kind of take old concepts we evolve that and that's all based on just just 
listening to Martin owners, what, what they love, what they don't love, what they're looking for. And so, so, so yes, I think we're, we're looking, uh, looking at, at opportunities pretty broadly, you know, including the, the things you mentioned. Yeah. The ukulele segment of the company, it, it seems stronger or stronger than it's been for quite some time. And are you going to continue with that? Yeah, we will definitely continue with ukes. It is a part of Martin. It's not, you know, it's not as big as guitars. Of course, you know, we, we feel it, it's it's a part where we can create something that where there are consumers out there that care about it, they love it. And so so we'll continue with, with Ukes for sure. Yeah. Right. It Definitely is. an opportunity to branch branch that out further. And, and it's an entry level for uh, for younger younger people playing instruments. Exactly. What kind of car do you drive on a separate subject? <laughs> what kind of car do you drive? Oh, well... Um, I, I drive a, a German, uh, car, uh-huh. <laughs> um, it's a BMW. Okay. Very good. Not, yes. not a Porsche like, uh, yes, like uh, Chris. And, and it's good because, because I actually do commute to get to Nazareth. Okay. So we have not relocated. Uh-huh. Uh, so we live in New Jersey. So I, I do actually drive two and a half hours every day no you know, way. But to and back. So, um, it was actually interesting. Um, it was actually the, the first time. I really had to think about a car. What kind of car do I actually prefer to spend a lot of time in? Because before, I mean, we have a family, we have four kids. Of course, we had cars. But, you know, before, primary consideration was uh, functionality, right? And so, yeah. and, and I personally, frankly, I never needed to have a car, actually, for, for my work, because I usually worked where my clients were. Yeah. And so, you know, very often I would use rental cars or would fly to work yeah so this time it it was important that it's it's comfortable it has a good sound system because i i like to listen to music and you know podcasts and all that stuff as part of my driving yeah so so that's that's what i do (laughs) and yeah so two and a half hours are you working while you're in the car as well are you taking phone calls and and able to do stuff like that usually no well, uh, occasionally yes, but, but but usually I I listen to music. I really like to listen to music. I like that time to to just you know kind of spend a little bit of time decompressing, uh-huh. right? Um, or in the mornings. I mean, of course, to think about things and so on. But yeah, it's it's occasionally it happens that I would do calls from the car. But in general, kind of if I if I can do the calls outside, I'm I'm perfectly fine with that. That is a long yeah. time in a There's car. There's so much great music to listen to. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, even, It is a long time in a car. Yes. Even, even with that amount of time in a car, you couldn't listen to all the great music that's out there and all the new music that comes out on a daily basis. <laughs> yes. But, but believe it or not, before, so before joining in this role in my prior work, I, I probably spent more time traveling sure. each week than what I spend now time in the car or, you know, occasionally, of course, I, I also travel where I fly uh, yeah. to visit uh, uh, channel partners or, or suppliers. In my prior life, I was a lot more on the road. So okay. so this feels feels actually an improvement uh, versus my prior life. Yeah. 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 How old are your children? So I have, I have four children. Um, my oldest is uh, 23. Okay. So uh, just graduated. 
and then 21, 19, 16, right? So one graduated, two in college, and one uh, still with us. Uh, he he will start his second year in high school. So so that's kind of the the ages. And and does he play? And, does and he... three of the four are boys. Second oldest is a girl. Okay. Yeah. Does he play? Does the one in high school yeah. play sports? We have two that are more sports oriented. Uh, two that are a little bit less oriented. So um, the uh, the one in in high school, uh, the the boy in high school, watching a lot of sports. But no, he's he's not part of a of a, a sports team per se. But he does you know, regular workouts, running, that kind of stuff. And I, my my question is. Uh, when the ones that were involved in sports, when they were playing games, were you able to get to any of the games? And how much pressure yeah. did your wife give you <laughs> to get to those games? Oh yeah. Well, when when they were younger, they uh, all our boys played soccer. Okay. Right? So, and they played in in kind of the the school teams, and so I I would definitely over the weekends or during the weekends I was able to go, or sometimes if I was working from home, I was able to go you know i think the pressure was fine my, my wife she totally understood kind of my lifestyle uh-huh. the the wonderful thing about our wife we've been married for 26 years now we've known each other for 31 years wow and so you know we've we've always had pretty similar approaches to kind of our family and and she was very understanding of my lifestyle and and of my constraints you know that come from work but at the same time i tried to carve out time yeah to of course spend time with children and participate <laughs> yeah, in their exactly. lives as well yeah it's a balance yes of course of course yeah and the future of martin i should say the long-term future of martin is are you looking to expand into any other fields and i don't know what they could they could be but are, is there any kind of thought of moving into <laughs> other directions well that's i think a tbd yeah. Right. So, so unclear at this point. I think the way we we are thinking about that is one, we we are absolutely looking at what matters to consumers, right, a- across their entire life cycle, right. So it's and and we know it's not just guitars that matters uh, to guitar players. <laughs> there are a lot of things that matter to uh, to musicians and guitar players. And so just understanding that across an entire life cycle is is uh, one one angle that that we want to look at and and then the other angle that we clearly um are looking at is who who are we right and and what is it that we can bring to consumers to to the players and of course everybody knows we're making guitars um and we do that incredibly well sure um and you right we also have strings we have accessories yeah. but um, but but we also are are a company that doesn't have unlimited resources, right? And it, it it's a family-owned business. Still, Chris obviously is is a primary shareholder, yeah. the primary shareholder. And so we are we're looking at things, right? I would say uh, the company also has done quite well, um, at least in their recent history, to sticking to your knitting, right? And and be focused. And really focus on the things where, where we can really bring something to the table that, uh, back to your point, earlier point, um, that turns consumers into fanatical Martin lovers. Right? Yeah. That's that's what we'd 
like uh, I mean that's personally that's how I consider myself. Uh, I'm pretty fanatical uh, as a consumer of Martin. I've owned Martins before, and to me, right, I always thought the company does something very special. And so thinking about what is that that makes you special, and then how do you use that with the understanding of what matters to consumers to maybe offer more, but not get into categories or or offerings where, frankly, somebody else is much better able to do a better job than we do, right? So, but but we definitely have a very open mind to your question. Yeah. And then figuring out the right choices, it, that's also an evolution, yeah. I would say. And I think the nice thing that, that the recent boom has also demonstrated is, I mean, even if you look at guitars, there there is so much opportunity just, just in guitars, right? Even if you say, well, the boom won't last forever, I think, once you understand the needs of different players, the preferences, what they love, there is a lot of opportunity to do a lot more in, in, in guitars, oh, yeah. per se. And so I would say, right, let's kind of focus. And then if we if we branch out, it's, it's always going to be very tied to kind of what's our core. Yeah. Have you run into, yeah. have you run into Caesar? Or previously to this, or 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 recently, Caesar from Gibson. Have you run into him? Yeah, I uh, I didn't know him before. Okay. Right? So so JC, no, I, I or Caesar. Yeah, I, I I didn't know him before joining, and then uh, I I had obviously contacts with Gibson, Fender, Taylor, and others, just to to make the connection. So that was also like I said earlier, everybody was very very welcoming. Sure. And uh, it was great to connect and just learn learn about the industry. There's a lot of companies out there that are, for lack of a better term, stealing Martin designs. Any any thought of pursuing them? Well, if if somebody is um, infringing on our, our copyrights, we're monitoring that very very closely, right? And and patents or anything like that. And and so yes, the answer is yes. And that also relates to if people use kind of our concepts or, or frankly try to use the Martin name uh, yeah. with, without any formal arrangements with us and, and discussion. Of course, we, we are monitoring that very closely. But as, as you also know, there are a lot of limitations to manufacturers these days uh, of instruments, what you can pursue. Right? Yeah. So it's, it's this, it's a little bit this delicate balance of when you see something, can you actually legally pursue it? Uh, is it worth to pursue it? There's no question copying is going on in this industry. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> you know that, right? Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yes. And I, I don't want to take too much more of your time, but on a personal note, what do you, you're, you're very fit. I, what no, do you, no, I have fun. Yeah. <laughs> you're very fit. What do you do for exercise? Spending so much time in a car. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, 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 exactly. No, I, I, I like to keep myself at least somewhat fit with uh, running. So I, I love to do some sports, you know, running, some exercises. I used to do actually quite a bit of road cycling, and I still love road cycling. Uh-huh. And I think those are the, the main, main main things I do. And, and I'm not, uh, you know, I would consider myself average when it comes to fitness, right? but but I, I try to be mindful about it. And frankly... For me, what's also important is, you know, fitness of the mind. Yes. So, you know, I do meditation and, and, and I'm a, a big believer in that. 
because I think, especially in our world that we live today, being open, having a positive outlook on things, being being uh, grateful for things that, that you have, you know, it sometimes gets a little bit challenging with everything that's going on. But I, I'm a big believer in it. And, you know, I've practiced some of these things for uh, years now. And, and it really helps me to to stay even keeled and, and hopefully influence others with you know positivity that's that's what i tried to do as well uh -huh. the, you mentioned your guitar collection and and you said you have some telecasters and stratocasters uh, anything else any highlights uh, even the martins that you have in your collection are, are yeah i think i mean martins of course i have to say that but it's also true they are the highlights and and i i, I do own a view of of them you know i like i mean i like all kinds of solid bodies uh you know, have different manufacturers there. I like arch tops, so uh -huh. several arch tops in, in my collection. I have some other fretted instruments. So, I, so my wife is actually, uh, she's half Venezuelan, so um, there's a big Latin linkage. And so I, I love some of the South American instruments, you know, like a charancho. You'll find a charancho at home or cuatro. Uh -huh. um, uh, I have an auto harp. I have a banjo, mandolin. So I, I you know, it's not that I'm, super a uh, super uh technical or brilliant player in all these instruments i just love instruments and my core definitely are kind of uh acoustic guitars and and uh like guitars i have several basses so you know i have a rickenbacker which i love oh cool yeah. uh, uh 403 rickenbacker which is fantastic like um, you know but but i use a lot of these instruments when I record. So, uh -huh. like, yeah, Chris Squire, there you go. And Getty Lee, Getty yeah. Rush is one of my, <laughs> also, you know, really big fan of Rush, right? Uh, obviously, Genesis, I have to mention Genesis, big fan of Genesis. Sure. So, um, lots of Rickenbackers out there. Yep. <laughs> amps, so, what, what kind and of And by the way, oh, I have to say, um, the Vintage Guitar Magazine, I, I really love the magazine, and I've, I've been a, a long-time reader of the magazine well, and I, I i really love every every issue yeah thank you very much i really do <laughs> thank you i think it's a wonderful magazine yeah i, pre I appreciate that uh <laughs> amps what kind of amps do you have for your guitars i have a fender amp uh -huh. so blues blues junior uh -huh. box ac15 uh -huh. so that then and then i actually i use a lot of plugins as well mm -hmm. so for you know home recording okay right and i think there are some some really cool um, uh, companies out there, I find, you know, like Neural, DSP, I, I don't know whether you've heard about them. Sure. They're actually quite quite interesting. But but there are quite a few companies that I think with the plugins now get to a level where at least for, you know, studio or home recording, the quality is, is really good. The latency, it becomes more and more non-issue, right? Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but but my my go-to amps are probably those two that I mentioned. Uh huh. Yeah. So you've mentioned your your recordings. You put out a record. Are just one record or multiple? I I actually do. I actually do have one. Uh, it's under a pseudonym. It's called uh, Seeds of Imagination. So that's the name of the band. Uh huh. Seeds of Imagination. Uh, the album is called the the Soul Shrine. It's on it's on all the streaming platforms available. And, and so it, you, you can listen to it and, and when you listen to it you probably hear back the influences i talked about earlier okay very good uh, <laughs> because it's just i think the progressive 
genre, the electronics, guitars. I mean, it's just you you hear it. Yeah. Yeah. Is it just you, or is it is it you and a drummer, or are you using? Are yeah. You... Yeah, no, it's all it's all me. Okay, very so good. So whatever you hear there, it, it's it's me. <laughs> okay, great. That's ex- excellent. Yeah. Do you play drums? Or are you? Just... I I wish I wish I I had no. I I use uh, programming. Uh-huh. So just drum software. I have TuneTrack Superior Drummer Three, which uh-huh. is really really awesome. And I again, I think nowadays there's a lot you can do, and and the quality that you can get to at home, uh, I think is pretty good. Oh yeah, and it's. Just you know, in my case, I I just probably do a lot of this more for convenience reason than trying to find players and studio space and so on. So yeah, I've I've recorded all all of my stuff at home. Mm-hmm. You probably get exposed. I'm I'm assuming it's probably somebody else, but you might get exposed to a lot of new guitar players just by your position and yes. pe- people looking for uh, endorsements yeah. or whatever. Yeah. No, I I do, and and I think the the thing I I would. Say is I think what is great to see is is just the diversity of of types of players that you now have right and and um, there there is so much amazing talent out there mm-hmm. I would say and and you know that there was for a while the conversation about oh our guitar is you know, dying right the guitar genre I think when you look at, at some of these players nowadays um, younger players you, you know there's there's an amazing core that's that has developed new players joining. So, so I think it's it's actually quite exciting, and and yeah. So, I I love it. I really I really do love it. And I of course I also love the the players I grew up with more. Right. Um, I mean I I love those players as well. But yeah, definitely there's a lot out there in terms of talent, and and we love to work with with some of them. Uh, like the recent uh, collaboration we had with Gretchen Mann um, uh, and and other players to showcase what you can do on an SE10. Yes, you know we had right we had the shootout started with a, a broader set uh, in collaboration with with another magazine, and um, I think I thought it was awesome what all these players could do. So I'm very excited about that. Yeah. And and Gretchen Men is is uh, an amazing guitarist for sure. In the, she is, she is. Yeah, anything. Not, not just the beloved Led Zeppelin, which I also do. <laughs> oh yeah, no, her, I've I've listened to her solo stuff, and and that's it, it's quite amazing. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and recently, you did the Rich Robinson, um, or the Robinson guitar, I should say. It's not really Rich; it's his dad's guitar. Um, anything like that coming down the line? Well, I th- I think it's it was a great example of of things that that can inspire people, right? In this case, it was Rich Robinson's dad's guitar that he had used. And so I'm sure there will be more more examples like that. Um, because it's, I do think, and you know that also, uh, I mean, with guitars, there's so much more that comes with the guitar, right? It's it's stories, it's, it's associations you have with certain uh, music genres or artists so there's so much out there in this case it was really the ability to create something together with with rich in collaboration and uh, that was incredibly meaningful to him and and hopefully you know to to others as well because it's going to be available um but but we were super excited and it was it was so wonderful to also ultimately come up with an instrument that that met rich's Test, right? Yes, um, exactly. And ultimately, he was, he was, he was obviously uh, the, 
the judge off does this kind of feel like my dad's guitar and and i i think it was wonderful that collaboration and there will definitely be more things like that uh that's going to be in the pipeline yeah any thoughts on doing a guitar that has been distressed like like fender does their their distressed guitars of course gibson has their murphy age guitars any thoughts to doing something like that you mean like aged yes exactly exactly yeah yeah i mean we have we have our authentic series already uh-huh. right where we essentially we have uh, aged versions of historic guitars right and, and we have a process to age them so which which it's not just the torification of the wood but it's also the the distressing of the wood the okay. aging of the, kind of the making it look old right distressing yeah so so we are doing that already but we're all also looking at, at additional ways to do that more economically at, at different price points, uh-huh. right? Because it is a very expensive way currently. Yep. You know, we are also looking into can can we maybe expand that to uh, mid-range guitars and below as well. Yeah. So yes, okay. yeah, the answer is yeah. yes, absolutely. Okay, good, good. Actually, one of one of my models is a is a D twenty eight nineteen thirty seven authentic, and it's an eight. I, I wanted the aged version. You got, can also have the clean version, but I picked the aged version. I love it. Yeah. Just just add some vibe. <laughs> oh yeah, of course. The thing with aged guitars is, uh, or you know, played previously pre- played guitars is it, it's it's something that's uh, been worked out. All the all the kinks are worked out. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Totally. Well, I so should... I, are you more so you mentioned your D twenty eight. Do you also are you mainly an acoustic player or electric? You said more on the electric side in your case, or or mix? Um, it's a it's a definitely a mix. I I'm primarily a player, so not so much a podcaster. I play yeah. <laughs> almost every day of the week, multiple gigs per day, sometimes two or three, and most of those are just me me and an acoustic guitar, banging out chords and singing Wonderful. songs. But then I have a band called the Deadlies, and that's a surf band, a surfish band, and we play. Excellent. Yeah, we play um, with I, Greg Cock. I think has done work with you. We just played with Greg Cock. Uh, oh, really? Saturday night we played. We we supported oh, wow. his band. So, and and uh, that's uh, awesome. Yeah, and he's amazing, of course. And uh, so we do. We it's did amazing. Yeah, yeah that we must did, have been a great experience. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yes, it's nice. To, and he's hilarious. That's wonderful. <laughs> yeah, he is. Yeah. Well, it's been wonderful talking to you, Thomas. I I really appreciate your time. It means a lot. And uh, and I really I look forward to talking to you again. You know, a little bit down the road. James, thank you so much. It was a pleasure to to be in your session. And uh, and again, I love vintage guitar. The, the magazine. I think it's great. Thank you. Thank you for your time. No, my pleasure. Absolutely. Uh, wonderful speaking with you. Okay. All right. You have a good one. You too. Bye bye. Bye bye. Next up is Chris Martin. With Chris, we cover his new retired life. Chris tells us about his start running the company. We talk about his love of nonfiction business scandal books. And we discuss his relationship with Martin Connoisseurs, Eric Schoenberg, and George Groom. We talk about Martin's relationship with companies that are copying Martin body styles and innovations. And we talk about artist models and the conversations that lead up to the model being manufactured and released. We talk about the new Rich Robinson model and how the finishes are printed on the bodies. Chris shares a story of how he and Ed Sheeran were bidding on the same Martin guitar at an auction. 
Chris tells a story about a close encounter with Martin player Gene Autry, which led to the artist models of today. We discuss how Chris chose Thomas Ripsom as the current president and CEO of Martin Guitars. And we talk about the future of the company and bids from other entities to buy the company. Chris discusses his employees and the benefits of working for the company. Chris tells us about his guitar collection and his car collection. We talk about Chris's role while he was NAM chairman and his role with NAM now. We talk about the new models for the NAM show in April. Once again, you can find out all about all things Martin at their website, martinguitar.com. Here's Chris. Hi, Chris. How are you? I'm okay. I'm retired, and so I don't look at my schedule. (laughs) (laughs) That's quite all right, of course. We met at NAM. And at the NAM party after after NAM, I was entertained greatly, mostly by a man running around with a lamb chop, but uh, <laughs> by a lot of different things. What are you doing in retired life right now? Um, I'm taking care of my health. I have some health issues. Oh no! And I have a teenage daughter, so today I had to take her to the dentist because she's not 18 yet. So, and my wife passed away. Oh know, no! I'm sorry to hear months that. Months ago. So, uh-huh. I be I, in like in one sentence, I be, I was retired. And I became a bachelor, and I became a single single father. Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! <laughs> yeah, you're still on the board, though. You're are you you still deal with day to day stuff for Martin, or not so much? You know, I'm the executive chairman, and quite honestly, I never liked the day to day stuff. That was not <laughs> what I was best at. That's why I was. That's why I ended up hiring people to help me run the company. Yeah, yeah. You did clinics for for Martin as well. Well, what I would do, and this started. Oh my gosh. When I joined the company, got my degree, I had spent some time in the shop. I didn't grow up in the family business, but I said, I really need to get a sense of how the guitars are made. Sure. And then came to the realization, you know, I'm probably going to end up in the office, right? Not going to be on the workbench. Uh And so one of the older veteran salesmen said, hey, you know, my territory is Asia. Why don't you come with me? And I'll introduce you to all the customers. Uh-huh. And what he would do, he would go into a large music store, say in Sydney, Australia, uh-huh. and they would you know bring in all these Martin fans, and he would tell the Martin story. And I, I there I am in Sydney, and I watched him, and I'm like, yeah, that's cool. And he did it a couple of times, and then we're, we're somewhere in Australia or New Zealand or I don't know. Mm-hmm. And he looks at me, he goes, "It's your turn." And I said, "What do you mean it's my turn?" <laughs> he said, "Well, you're." A Martin, if anyone should tell this story, it's you, not me. You saw what I did. It's your turn. (laughs) And so I ended up doing that all over the world for 35 years. Wow. Traveling around, telling this. Because, you know, it's great if you can come visit Nazareth, but if you can't, I'll come visit you. Yes. And so that's it. And did you play guitar for people as well? I I am an abysmal guitar player. (laughs) I doubt that. (laughs) <laughs> I, I I have a pretty good sense of how they're made, but I'm a little bit like the GM executive that gets chauffeured to work and never drives their own cars. <laughs> but I'm surround I'm surrounded by people that are fanatical about guitars, and they're also very opinionated. Oh yeah, of course. <laughs> well, th- I mean, th- that's the one thing about about Martin. I think over over you know the competitors Gibson and Fender is that Martin owners are fanatical about Martins. Period. Yeah. I play, um, I was aside, I was busking at Oakland International Airport in California. And uh-huh. if I, if I played a Gibson, I have a couple of Gibson acoustics and I have this Martin acoustic right here. And, the, uh-huh. and if I played the Gibsons, nobody said anything They nobody said anything. If I, uh-huh. if I played the Martin, 
sure enough, there'd be maybe 50 people that come up to me and go, oh, Martin, and they'd want to know, you know, because it's a, it's a D28S, so they'd want to know about the slot head. they want to know everything about it. And uh, so, anyway, <laughs> that's my own experience. I, Martin, so Martin, Martin, Martin owners are fanatical about, about their instruments. That's what I've found. So show me the body of your guitar. Oh, it's the, it's the 12 fret. So. so it's the, yeah. So when I decided to spend some time, one summer, it was, it was high school, and I had come back living with either my dad or my grandfather, and I said, I want to make a guitar. And everyone's like, well, you don't have enough skill, but. You know, the people in the shop can help you make a guitar. Uh So then I sat down with my grandfather and and I I said, you know, what should I do? And he said, well, I said, you know, I don't because I my first guitar was a 518 slot head. Okay. A wide neck. And it was it was made for nylon string. Uh huh. Yep. Right. And I'm like, no, I don't want to build another nylon string guitar. I want to build a steel string guitar. Sure. So I want a narrower neck, and I don't want that slotted head because it's a pain in the ass to change the strings. But my grandfather said, he said, if you use the 12-fret body, you will get a little more volume yeah. out of the box. Yeah. So it's in my little section of the museum. It's a, it's a D28 uh-huh. that I helped make, but what's different about it is it's got the 12-fret body with a narrow fingerboard and a solid headstock okay <laughs> right on the 12 fret body I, I mean that makes all i've so I play on this guitar i play a lot of slack key stuff and it okay. and, uh-huh. and it makes all the difference in the world i mean it's okay. so boomy and it and so full so super uh-huh. full. Uh-huh. <laughs> so in in retirement you you're a bachelor now what do you what do you do for fun what do you what are you doing I've gotten back into reading. Okay. You know, I, I read newspapers every day and I read car magazines and, and guitar magazines, but I didn't have enough time to read books. Uh-huh. And right now, man, I'm, I'm getting through two or three books a month, which when I was working, you know, I, it, the only time I would read is in the summer. Sure. <laughs> but now I have plenty of time. And, and you know, I, I love to read books about food and about cooking and about restaurants but the books I really love are business scandal books. Oh, really? <laughs> because it, I read the book and I kind of go, there but for the grace of God goes me. <laughs> <laughs> so nonfiction business scandals. Mostly nonfiction, yeah. yeah. My oh. wife was a big fiction reader. Okay. And when we had her memorial service, I brought with me about 250 of her fiction books. Okay. And I said to everyone at the service, you have to take one of these because I'm never going to read them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and are you in Pennsylvania right now? Yeah. Okay. I, I see your backyard um, very framed perfectly by, your, yeah, by everything yeah. there. And it's gorgeous. It looks gorgeous. I heard it's pretty warm there right now, though. It's hot and humid, yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I went to school at Berkeley in Boston. And okay. uh, I can remember the, the summers being very hot and humid. I'm in Napa right now. I'm in Napa, California right now. Yeah, you don't get the humidity like we do. It's been actually humid this summer, but not huh. nothing like there. Not, it's not stifling for sure. <laughs> so you mentioned uh, we're talking about, about people being fanatical. How often do you come across a person like um, Eric Schoenberg or you know George Grun telling you what you're doing wrong? You know, what I learned when I was younger was, first of all, to listen to them. Uh Right. And, you know, I will say it wasn't someone necessarily saying you're doing this wrong. But here I'm I'm younger and I'm going to these luthier shows. Right. Uh Like the Guild of American Luthiers 
And I'm looking around the room and I'm going, huh, that guitar builder is making a copy of a Martin guitar that we don't make anymore. Yeah. And I would go back to the factory and I go, you know, I saw something interesting at the Luthier show. What did you see, Chris? I saw someone capitalizing on our history and our heritage. Yeah. Why aren't we doing that? Uh-huh. Well, Chris, because nobody wants them. No, let's 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 <laughs> let's not say that. Maybe not everybody wants as many of those as they want a D28, but I think and that's what Eric Schoenberg showed us. Yeah. Chris, people love these OM guitars, but they would like you to make them like you used to, not like you are today because now you think back this is really before Taylor kind of kicked our butt around the block with a better neck, right? Uh-huh. So what we've got is a Martin guitar that didn't play very well, honestly, except on the first three frets. Yeah. And then you'd get someone like Eric who'd say, you know, people, this is a guitar for an accomplished player. So the first thing you got to do is make it more playable. Uh-huh. But then you need to go back and look at some of the historical things that you stopped doing subtle little things like the diamond and square inlay. Uh-huh. No, no, dots are simple. We just put a round dot in, we drill a hole, and it's really efficient. So when my dad, at the end of his career, we, we were struggling to make all the guitars efficiently. It was very difficult. And we just kind of ground ourselves down to D28s, D18s, D35s, D28s, D18s, D35s, with, you know, bad playability. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I just said, we're missing something here. We're missing an opportunity to sell real copies against the luthier who's making a fake copy yeah. or a copy that's not real, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. So that is one thing I learned by, by paying attention to some of the niches in the acoustic guitar market. Sure. And did you ever ever consider, much like Gibson has done, going after these people that are copying your designs? So, you know, because we're so old, and in many cases, my family never thought to try and protect. The only thing they really protected was the decal, right? Uh-huh. That's you can't mess with that. Yeah. But for example, the teardrop pick guard, the dreadnought shape, the, the rectangular headstock. A lot of those, even if they had, it would have been a, it would have been a, what's called a design patent, which isn't the same as a you know a function patent. Uh-huh. But a lot of those would have run out. But so I did I did get to a point where I said, you know, I wonder why everyone has to use a rectangular headstock. Sure. Why do they have to, why does everybody have to make their guitar look like a Martin? Because they want to. Right. Yeah. So I contacted our attorney and I had I threw an idea out to him and he said, Chris, this will never work. <laughs> I said, how much would it cost? He said, it'll cost a couple thousand dollars. I said, would you give it a shot? So we sent in a claim, I believe, to the trademark and patent office. Uh-huh. And we sent in documentation that said, we are confident that we, Martin, have been using a rectangular headstock on our acoustic guitars longer than any other guitar builder in America. Sure. And you know what? They sent a letter back saying, we agree with you. We're going to give this to you. Oh, wow. So we own the rectangular headstock. Uh-huh. So now what we do is we send letters out to everybody who's copying us. Uh-huh. And if you look from that point at which we got that till today, the vast majority of the bigger companies that were copying us uh-huh. have changed their headstock design. Wow. <laughs> Not all of them. Yeah. For example, Bill Collings argued with me. He said, Chris, 
I was doing this before you got this trademark approval. Uh-huh. And I said, Bill, you're still breaking the law. He said, sue me. I said, I'm not that kind of person. <laughs> but they, in their file, they have a letter from us uh-huh. saying, you are infringing on our trademark. Uh-huh. So they are aware that they are breaking the law. Sure. And we have decided not to sue them, but we certainly could. <laughs> yeah, of course. Of course. And are you friends with Bill Collings? I was, yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> as, as friendly as you could be with Bill. He was, he was, a, he was a bit of a curmudgeon. <laughs> as some guitar makers are. <laughs> right, right. You were building guitars for Schoenberg with the Schoenberg uh, name on the top. And you've done yes. that for George Grun. Is there, is there other companies, other, other, other people that you've done that for? Back in our history, uh-huh. certainly. Ditson, we made a lot of Ditson guitars. The original Dreadnought was a Ditson before Ditson. Um, John Wanamaker, the, the, the department store. Uh-huh. My, my relatives knew the Wanamakers and they had a little music department. And okay. we made... Wanamaker branded ukuleles for them. Oh, wow. Um, today, what we're finding more often than not is even when we have a customer that wants, they want their own custom model. Sure. They want the Martin name on the headstock. Oh, yeah, of course. Of course. It, they're not going to put their name on it. It's like, no, no, no. Your name's more powerful than ours. We're going to, de- like Guitar Center, they'll design a special custom run that's for their stores. Uh-huh. But they never said, we want you to put Guitar Center on yeah. that stuff. <laughs> Certainly not Guitar Center. <laughs> Exploring that a little bit further, are there are, are there pre-war Martins that have somebody else's name on the headstock? Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, not a lot of them. Yeah. And, and there, a lot of them are, are even like pre-steel string or pre-14 yeah. fret. So they're kind of obscure. They're not something that a bluegrass player is like, oh my God, I've got to find this holy grail of 14 fret dreadnoughts that weren't Martins. A lot, they, most of them were small body, 12 fret, uh-huh. slot head. So they're kind of esoteric. Okay. Going on to the player models. So when, yeah. when Eric Clapton played that, you know, the famous, the, his famous performance, and he was using the, um, the, your Martin guitar. Yeah. Was there a conversation between the two of you ahead of time or did, was that, after the fact, Afterwards. yeah. After the fact, yeah. yeah. And was he was he easy to deal with? All of the artists, I will say, it, you never know. Mm-hmm. You never, you know, they all want to. They have an idea. Yeah. A lot of times, the guitar tech is involved because oh. the guitar, guitar tech knows a little more. Sure, sure. But then when we take what we thought we heard, uh-huh. and we make a prototype, and we send it to them, we always cross our fingers because sometimes <laughs> they come back and they go, no, was, that's not what I was thinking about. And we're like, well, but that's what you said. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's not what I meant. <laughs> so sometimes with, you know, it, whether it's Eric or John Mayer, you got to make more than one prototype for them to go, that's what I was talking about. Yeah. yeah. And that's okay. It just, it just means you have to plan out a little further, right? <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. The one I'm fascinated with is the Marty Stewart model, uh-huh. uh, just because I love all the inlays and... and yep. <laughs> Is that the probably the fanciest one out, out of all of them? You know, I don't, did you ever see the um, the click and clack model? Oh yeah, I that, I, that I actually watched that video. That, that so you know, <laughs> it, 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 the, the the question with a guitar like that is, if we're going to put that much time and effort into designing it, are we going to at least sell fifty of them? Yeah, because if you put all that trouble into it and you sell five of them, yeah. It wasn't worth doing. <laughs> <laughs> is is there one that you're particularly fond of of, of all of those the the artist models? Huh, that's a good question. Well, the, I'll tell you. I'll just tell you a story. That it was. It, I think it was the the Paul Simon model. 
Okay. And Dick Boak said, hey, let's go. We'll go into New York. I've been talking to Paul's management. And next Tuesday, he would be available. He's working on a play. He said, if we go over to the where they're rehearsing the play and we bring a photographer and the guitar, we can do some promo shots with, you know, you and Paul and Paul and the guitar. Great. So we're, we're getting ready to go. And Dick says, oh, the management called. And they said, Paul's not feeling well. I said, well, we should reschedule. They said, no, no, no. They said we should come anyway. Okay. So we get to New York and we get in this, you know, little black box theater kind of place. And his assistant comes out and she says, I'm really sorry. Paul's not feeling well. And I said, we can we can come back another time. Oh, yeah. and, and she's like, no, he's right here. He walks in the room and he asks me how I'm feeling. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm fine. You're the one who's sick. He goes, no, no, no. I really wanted to do this. I'm OK. I'm so glad you came. I mean, that's what that's the kind of story I remember. Yeah. You know? Yeah, <laughs> of course. Of course. So I was there at NAMM this year. And the Rich Robinson model, anything's, I mean, it's a, a gorgeous guitar, of course, of course. A any thoughts to to, um, to distressing some of these artist models like Gibson and Fender do? For me, none whatsoever. Yeah. I think it's cool. And I don't know if you know how we did that guitar, but years ago, we bought what's called the Mamaki printer. And the Mamaki is a printer designed to hold guitar bodies. Wow. Okay. So we've had this thing, and we use it occasionally. I don't know if you saw, like, the Tiger. Now, the Tiger guitar wasn't um, the the one with the with the fighter plane painting. Did you, do you remember oh, that yeah. from the trade show? Oh, of, course. of course. Okay, so that's the Maki. So what you do is you have an image. You take a high-resolution photograph of the image, and then you put guitar bodies through the printer, and it digitally prints the image on the top of the guitar. Wow. So the Rich Robinson guitar top, that's a picture what? of his father's Martin. Wow. With distressing reproduced digitally yeah. on a print. Yeah. So that one was not distressed. Wow. That's just printed to look distressed. Isn't that cool? <laughs> That's cool. Sure. <laughs> That's great. The, so the, the wood that on the top underneath it is that what is that? It's spruce. I'm not I don't remember what type of spruce, but it's just spruce. Yeah. 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 I don't know if it's Angleman or Sitka. I don't remember the yeah. spec. Okay. That's that's damn cool. I'm going to tell you another artist, funny artist story. Sure. So back when Ed Sheeran was playing Martins, uh -huh. which he isn't anymore, um, I have a house in Delaware, and my neighbor is a speechwriter, and he has he's a stutterer. Okay. Which is kind of interesting. Here you've got this gentleman who writes speeches and coaches people. He, for example, he coaches Joe Biden. Right? Wow. On um, and Joe's a stutterer. Uh huh. Okay. So my neighbor, Michael and Ricky, I was down there by myself. They said, come on over. We, we want to talk to you about something. And they said, you know, Michael's on the board of this stuttering institute, and they have a big fundraiser in New York City. And I said, oh, OK. And they said, you know, we would really like to invite you. I said, oh, OK, I'll, I'll be glad to support it. And they said, no, this is, we just want to invite you because every year we acknowledge someone famous Who's a stutterer? It's like they said for one year, we acknowledged Bruce Willis. Who would have thought, right? Yeah. That Bruce Willis stutters. So they hand me the brochure for the gala. It's Ed Sheeran. Oh, wow. And I said, oh, of course. Of course, I'll come. I talked to my wife. Yeah, we'll come in. It was in New York, down by the, you know, little function area overlooking the, the Hudson River. Uh -huh. 
Emily Blunt was the master of cer- mes- wow. mistress of ceremonies. And I, Ed plays the LX, right? Uh-huh. So I had donated an LX along with, you know, money to attend. Sure. And they were going to raffle it off. Okay. Okay. And then the proceeds, they were going to use the proceeds to send a young stutterer to stuttering summer camp. Okay. Okay. But they had two kids there. Uh-huh. All right. Whatever. The auction starts, and you know, a handful of people bid. I'm going to bid. What the hell? Because Ed had written something on it. He took a magic marker, and he said something like, I want you to play this guitar. I don't want to see it hanging on the wall. Okay. So that's cool. Yeah. Right? So I'm bidding, and now there's only two people bidding. It's me, and I look across the room, and it's Ed. (laughs) And I'm like, what are we doing? Ed, we're into some serious money here i mean serious money and i i looked at emily i said i don't call time out i need to talk to the guy i'm bidding against yeah i went over i said ed how do we stop this he goes well chris i want to get the guitar because i want to give it to the kid that's going to get the scholarship i said ed there's two kids he said i know that's a problem i said i'll tell you what if we stop bidding right now I'll get another guitar. <laughs> and we can give one to each of them. And so we each took our last bid, and we each gave that large amount of money wow. to the inst- But the kids got to go to summer camp, yeah. and they got Mark guitars oh, from fantastic. Ed yeah, and Mr. Mark. So that was really cool. <laughs> that's great. That's fantastic. <laughs> Did you ever meet some of the earlier, the earlier artists, like Gene Autry or Roy Rogers or anybody like that? So... The closest I got to Gene Autry was when I would go out to the NAMM show, a good friend of mine, um, I met him when I was going to, to BU. I was going to BU. I was friends with his older brother. We stopped being friends, but my friend Matt was going to Emerson. Okay. Okay. And then he briefly went to Berkeley. Then he went to LA to BIT, the Base Institute. Sure. Yeah, of course. And then he got a job in in. Um, like the movie business, he's he's really he's a boom operator. You know, he's got yeah. really good ears. So that's what he made his career. So whenever I I, I would you know I would always before the Nam show I'd go out hang out with him get over my jet lag. And the one year I said Matt I heard that Gene Autry's Martin guitar is in his museum, and Matt goes Oh yeah he's got this museum over in Griffith Park. Yeah, we gotta go. So we go over, and the thing that amazed me I don't know if you've ever been there. I have. You know the. Part of the museum is all the singing cowboy tchotchke stuff. Yeah, of course. But Gene was a very serious collector mm-hmm. of Western memorabilia. Yep. Right? Yeah. Handguns, spurs, saddles, oil paintings. Yeah. That blew my mind that this guy was a serious collector of Western art. Sure. And we went in the gift shop on the way out. And there they've got like little Gene Autry lunchbox, right? Uh, yeah, of course. And a reproduction Gene Autry pen knife. And I bought it. <laughs> and I'm looking around going, I have an idea. So I got home and I called the museum and I got in touch with the director, Joanne Hale. Uh-huh. And Joanne said, Mr. Martin, so nice to meet you. Did you know that my husband, Monty, was a singing cowboy? Wow. Monty Hale. Yeah, she said he wasn't as famous as Gene, but he did have a Martin guitar and he will be thrilled to know I talked to you today. <laughs> And she said, why didn't you stop and see me when you were here? I said, oh, I didn't know. She said, but I I have an idea. I would like to make reproductions 
of Gene's guitar. And I would like to give one of those reproductions to the museum. And I would like then to take the proceeds from the run and take some of the proceeds and make a donation, the cash donation to the museum. Wow. And she said, that's fascinating. So this this was really the early groundwork for our current artist model program. Yeah, of course. Which includes a charitable contribution, sure, right? Sure, sure. So she said, I don't know. I'm going to call Gene. Gene was still alive. Uh-huh. She calls me back and she said, Mrs. Autry wants to talk to you. Wow. Well, apparently this is Mrs. Autry II, which is fine, right? Yeah, of course. (laughs) (laughs) So I get her on the phone, and she said, Gene's quite elderly. He asked me to talk to you, but he did want to let you know that he remembers fondly your grandfather and how helpful your grandfather was in getting him his D45. Uh And I, I told her, I said, yeah, that's why I want to make reproductions of them and i want to give money to the to his museum and she said i know isn't that a great idea she said the only thing is that when joanne talked to gene gene then said to me she's his wife she's he said when you talk to chris tell him i don't like his first offer (laughs) (laughs) so Mrs. Audrey and I did a little horse trading on the phone uh-huh. regarding what the percentage would be from each Gene Autry Martin guitar that we would then apply to the donation. Right, yeah, yeah. That's as close as I got to Gene, but I'm so glad that because that was the, the under my being CEO, that was the first artist model. And that kind of set the tradition that when you're doing an artist model with Martin, you get one, uh-huh. you get a friend and family price. And then part of the proceeds are given to your charity. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. That's great. That's fantastic. And that, and that continues to this day. To this day, yeah. Right on, yeah. right on. And and when you decided to retire, how, what, how did you pick Thomas? How did that, that, that process you know, go about? I've been using a, a, a two gentlemen I know who are executive recruiters uh-huh. for quite a while. So they helped me find Keith Lombardi, who was the first president that helped me run the company. Okay. And then they helped me find Jackie Renner, who helped me run the company. Uh-huh. And then when I realized I wanted to retire, it's a, it's a, it's a different job. Yeah. It's CEO and president. Sure. Sure. So the recruiters went out and they, you know, they got it down to about five people and my wife was still with me. She was on the Martin board uh-huh. and we got it down to three. Then with the rest of the board, we got it down to two. Okay. And, and this is kind of confidential, but it's, it's, it, it, it was how, how could I decide? Yeah. You know, both candidates, very highly qualified. I didn't want to flip a coin. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I was talking to our HR director. I said, Jane, let's bring them both in. For lunch, we'll have lunch in the conference room with me and all of the executive leaders that will ultimately report to this new person. Sure. And after lunch, I'll leave the room. And then you make sure a conversation continues. We'll do it with both individuals on different days and then we'll regroup. Uh-huh. Did it with. um I can't remember the other gentleman's name. Did it with Thomas. Uh-huh. A couple of days go by, call up Jane. How did it go when I left the room? She said it was very interesting, Chris. With the first candidate, 
Now, everyone in the room had seen the candidates' resumes. Uh After I left the room, Jane said the first candidate looked around the room and said, let me tell you about myself. Okay. And then she said, when it was Thomas's turn, after you left the room, Thomas looked around the room and said, tell me about yourself. (laughs) I said, Jane, she knows. She said, yes, Chris, I know. Thomas is the one. Yeah. <laughs> and and is the plan still that your daughter will eventually become president at some point? Well, the plan is she will eventually become the owner. Okay. All right. And and we'll take it from there. She could just be the chairman of the board uh-huh. and not run it. You know, it's, it's a big business today. Sure, sure. It's 10 times the size it was when I took over. Yeah, I can only imagine. <laughs> have, so have, she can't just roll in out of college and go, hey, I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> Does she play guitar? She's started with piano, went to flute, and now she's really focused on her voice. Okay. And she's in choral. She's in, like, the advanced choral program at school. I think she's going to stick with that. Okay. All right. All yeah. right. Um, have, you, have you been approached by outside forces to, to purchase the company at some point during, the, during your course? What happens generally is... Unless it's someone I know, uh-huh. they never get to me. Oh, okay. Because a lot of them, it's they're they're cold calling. They're just it's like a boiler room. Yeah. yeah. And they're just calling every private business in America to see if they they can get someone on the phone. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I did have a conversation with someone I know, uh-huh. and I jokingly said, "Well, I mean, let's be honest here. I have other shareholders. If there was a number I couldn't refuse." I can't refuse it. Yeah. Well, that that made that person kind of go white because <laughs> they were thinking, "Oh man, I'll pick this thing up for a song," yeah, and yeah. I'm going, "I'm thinking a billion dollars." <laughs> it was a very short conversation. <laughs> Do There's they... a price. Oh yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> but it's a it's got to be a number that would be. Because I do have other shareholders, and and they might say, "Chris, if someone offered you a billion dollars, take it." <laughs> oh yeah, of course, of course. Uh, your employees how many employees do you have total uh, about 500 in nazareth and 500 in our facility in navajoa down in mexico okay all right and um is there is there a uh like is there some sort of where they can purchase into the company do they have an opportunity to do stuff like that we had an esot like taylor has Uh uh-huh but Particularly when I began to realize, I didn't, you know, when we formed the ESOT, I was young. Uh-huh. Then when I got married, I didn't want to have kids. And Diane's like, we need to have kids. I said, oh, my dad and mom were divorced. All the, and, she, and she kept going, you're not your dad. Yeah, yeah. We're not going to get divorced. Let's have a kid. So once, once I realized that this might remain a family business, uh-huh. we actually undid our ESOT. Okay. And now, and when I took over, when you know, business was terrible when I took over. Sure. It was, you know, early 80s. And so I instituted profit sharing. Mm-hmm. Since I've been CEO, we've distributed over $100 million wow. to more coworkers through profit sharing. Wow. That's fantastic. So they, they get a piece of the action. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's great. How well do you know your employ or your former employees, <laughs> your your current employers at, as uh, chairman, but your former employees as president and CEO? Well, what you know, what I'm seeing is a lot of people 
that I worked with have retired. Uh-huh. You know, I'm 67. So every, pretty much everybody older than me, because I, you know, when I started, the people that were my dad's age were in their 50s. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, then there's a lot of institutional knowledge that's left. That's the one thing. And it's not so much guitar building knowledge. We document that. It's the running the business knowledge, mm-hmm. you know, where people will come up. I, Chris, I have this great idea. And I'll say, hold that thought. Do you mind if I tell you about something we did 20 years ago that sounds just like that idea? And I just want to let you know the way we did it 20 years ago, it failed miserably. I'm not saying we shouldn't do it again, but I am saying you might want to go back and look at how we did it badly so that we don't do it badly again. (laughs) (laughs) And your factory in Mexico, what part of Mexico is it in? It's in a, it's basically a farming community. They have a couple of big reservoirs that feed water down. Uh-huh. It's in it's a town called Navajoa. The closest big city is probably maybe Hermosillo. Okay. It's about 400 miles south of Tucson. Yeah. Yeah. It's not on the border. So yeah. we're not yeah. involved in that border, you know, jumping from job to job to job thing. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And we have some people that have been working there since we started that business almost 30 years ago. Wow. Still there. Still wow. there. Were you just looking at market forces and, and, you know, fenders making guitars in Mexico? Is that what? It started with strings. Oh, okay. That we were looking for somewhere to make strings more efficiently. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we did first. Then I ran into a fellow named Bob McNally at the Philadelphia Folk Festival. And Bob makes a thing called the Strumstick. I don't know if you've ever seen a Strumstick. Uh, I have not. It's got a it's a it's it's a little trapezoidal shaped instrument with a dulcimer keyboard. Okay. And Bob's point is all you do with a dulcimer is your bar fret. Yeah. So anyone can play it. He had a little booth at the Philadelphia Folk Festival. And in the back of the booth he had one of these things with six strings. I'm like, Bob, what's that? He goes, I have these friends who camp and they like the idea, so they asked me to make them a guitar strumstick. I said, Huh. And I thought to myself, that would be a good instrument to start making in Mexico. You don't want to start making D45s. No, 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 no. Right? <laughs> you want to start making something simple. So that was the first fretted instrument we made in Navajoa. Then we started to make the X series because they're simpler to make. Sure. And now, finally, after, what, 30 years, we're making full-gloss solid wood guitars. But it took us a while to get there. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so in the previously, uh, you guys made arch tops. Yep. Any thoughts of, of reinstituting that? I, I, one of the things I've learned is we're known for what we're known for, right? Yeah. And if the market isn't that big, even if we could make a good version of it, yeah. first of all, if we're not known for it, you're fighting uphill. Yeah. And if the market isn't that big, once you climb to the top of the mountain and you realize it isn't that big a market, you go like, wow, that was a lot of work for not a lot of sales. <laughs> <laughs> And and you mentioned uh, going to the folk fest. How often did you would you go to folk fests and and or you know bluegrass fests? I, and stuff? I, I I paid my dues absolutely. <laughs> Getting in the van and driving up to New England or out to Western Pennsylvania or down to Maryland. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> then they're done. That. <laughs> and and would you would you play? I stop asking me. <laughs> okay. I'm not going to ask you about playing anymore. You don't want to hear me play the guitar. You you want to hear me talk about how guitars are made. That's what I'm good at. Yeah, okay, <laughs> okay. But how about this? 
do you have a personal guitar collection a- apart from the oh, one that- okay and, and what's, oh, what's in that collection what I, what I cuz I have the advantage of being able to pick the wood uh-huh. a lot of the instruments that I've bought particularly later in my career were pretty fancy because between me picking the best wood and then me being able to put all this beautiful pearl all over them yeah that was like that's what I want since I can do it, that's what I want. A man after my own heart. <laughs> you know, if I was Mr. Lamborghini, I want the 12-cylinder. <laughs> yes, of course. Do you collect cars? A little bit, yeah. What do you have? Well, mostly European. Okay. I had two Ferraris, both of which my wife called my mistresses because they were temperamental. <laughs> so I've kind of focused in on German cars. Okay. And I, I I have a Mercedes E63 wagon, which is pretty cool. Yeah, that's very cool. I have a BMW M3. And then let me let me do the math here. Um, one, two, three, four, five, six Porsches. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and the Porsches, what what models are those? Um, let's see. My wife had a Cayenne hybrid, which I'm driving now. Uh-huh. I have a 911 Turbo. Uh-huh. I have uh, a more contemporary 911 Targa. I have two and a half 356s. <laughs> and so here's the most fun car, just from the story. So years ago, Guitar Center goes public. Yep. Right? Yeah. And whenever a company goes public, stock's up here. Well, the stock came down, so I bought some. And then the stock went up. And then the stock came down, so I bought some. (laughs) Then the stock went up. And then the stock came down, so I bought some. And then the stock went up. And then it went up even more. And then I got a letter from Bain Capital. And it said, Dear Mr. Martin, we are buying Guitar Center. You will be tendering your shares, and we will be sending you a check. Great. So... I don't know if you remember, but they they sold Marty and and uh, Larry sold that business to Bain Capital at like seventy six dollars a share. Okay, right. Well, I didn't buy my stock at seventy six dollars. No, no, no. So I get this check and I'm like, oh my goodness. And I thought, <laughs> if I put this in my checking account a year from now, who knows? Yeah, exactly. Who knows, right? So I went out and I bought a nine eleven. <laughs> and that's my Guitar Center 911. All right, on. <laughs> what color is it? <laughs> it's a very nice blue. In fact, next week, I'm taking my daughter up to the Pocono Racetrack. Okay. We're both going to do a defensive driving class. She's oh. got, we bought her, Diane got a Mercedes SLK the year Claire was born, uh-huh. and we still have that car. So Claire's going to take the SLK, and I'm taking my Guitar Center 911 up to the racetrack. Very cool. That's great. <laughs> anything else you collect besides guitars and, and cars you know it's it, folk art okay I, love, I you know traditional i love traditional art but i, I have a hard time personally spending half a million dollars on a piece of art yeah but i'm okay spending 500 bucks on a piece of art oh yeah of course <laughs> <laughs> and you can, you can get some half decent folk art for 500 bucks <laughs> And do you, do you spend much time out in California at all, other than the NAMM show? No. You know, I, 
I, I have to, I think when my daughter goes to college, which will be next year, mm-hmm. that's when I have to get back in the rhythm of traveling as Mr. Martin. Right now it's very difficult because yeah. she's in high school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm a single dad, yeah. but I do miss traveling. I, you know, when I was NAM chairman, I didn't get to travel as much as other NAM chairmen did. Uh-huh. So, and one of the things I want to do with Joe Lamont, although he's going to retire soon, is one of the trips we were supposed to do, the NAM chairman and the NAM president, which is Joe, uh-huh. they would always make a pilgrimage to Hamamatsu in Japan. Okay. Because that's where all the instrument makers are located. Yeah. Okay. I haven't been to Hamamatsu since I was in my 20s. Wow. Because I used to go, because our distributor was there. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, Joe, I want to go to Hamamatsu. He goes, Chris, as soon as I can go with Joel, if if, if Joe and Joel Menchie can go, I want to go with him. Yeah. Because that's the one NAM chairman trip I regret not making, was the pilgrimage to see Yamaha at Hamamatsu. Sure, sure, sure. And and will you still, even though you're not going to be president anymore, or you're not president anymore, are you going to still be involved with NAM? So the, the beauty of coming out the other side of being NAM chairman is you are retired NAM chairman for the rest of your life. Okay. So Hank, hold that thought. Okay, so so now I'm on the executive committee uh-huh. as chairman. Uh-huh. And Robin Mueller, Joe's assistant, hands me this. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, oh, wow. But I didn't really know. Okay, what is that? So now this is when NAM has... They, remember when they really ratcheted up security? Sure, sure. And they put in the metal detectors and all that. Yep. And you had to show your ID. It was a pain in the ass, right? Yep. So I get up. I'm in security. I've got my regular NAM badge on. And I've got this on. And the guys, you know, I need to see your ID. I need to see your ID. Yep. And he looks at me. He goes... And he sees this. And he goes... Right this way, sir. <laughs> I get one of these in perpetuity. <laughs> right on. That's great. <laughs> these That's... are really cool. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> well, I, I don't want to take too much of your time, too much more of your time. I appreciate you spending all this time with me. And no, this is fun. And I, I hopefully I get to see you in in Anaheim in April. Correct? April. Yeah. Yeah. We so Nam talk about unusual timing. The NAM board meeting is two weeks before the NAM show. Wow. The NAM board meetings in Laguna, yeah, yeah. So we all we all come out to California for a week. We all fly home, and then we all come back to California for wow. a week. <laughs> wow! <laughs> but yeah, I'm hoping to be there. Yeah. Okay, great. I might bring my daughter. We'll see. Oh, yeah. fantastic, fantastic! All right. Any any uh, would I should I ask Thomas or should I ask you? Are any new models coming up for April? We were just talking about that. As as you may be aware. We're starting to see that the great COVID guitar boom is leveling out. Uh-huh. And so we're beginning to say we need to get some stuff in motion so that we have something to talk about. That, and I think that's one of the things you saw at the last NAMM show, that some companies didn't bring anything new because they were so backordered. Uh, yes, exactly. Or didn't we show did, up. <laughs> like the Rich Robinson. We're like, look, we need something to talk about. Yeah, yeah, yep. Everyone's tired of talking about back orders. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, we've got some stuff in the works. I'm personally, I'm working on a crypto guitar. Wow. But that's all I can say. That's all I can say. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> that, you know what? I so I do a lot of interviews. Crypto is is a subject, especially with you know young the younger people. That, it yeah. comes up every conversation. Yep. NFTs and crypto. 
That's what they we, want. We have a new younger board member. When I told her I wanted to do a crypto guitar, she's like, oh, Chris, that's really cool. Yeah, exactly. My older board members are like, what are you talking about? Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, it, All right. It, it's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure and an honor. Yes, it's fun. Yes. Okay. Well, I look right. forward Keep to it. Yeah, I will for sure. Thank you, Chris. All right. Bye-bye. Up next, in my short conversation with Rich, we cover his current rig with the Black Crows, including his guitars. We talk about his new Martin guitar model, and we talk about his time in Bad Company, and Rich tells us about his songwriting and his tunings. He tells us about the 1972 album that just came out, and recording plans with the Black Crows for the future. You can find out all about Rich Robinson and the Black Crows at their website, theblackcrows.com. That's T-H-E. B-L-A-C-K-C-R-O-W-E-S dot com. And once again, you can find out about all things Martin at their website, M-A-R-T-I-N-G-U-I-T-A-R dot com. Please like, comment, and most of all, share this podcast. I'd really appreciate it. And please support Vintage Guitar Magazine and all the wonderful things they do for us guitar players because they do so many wonderful things for us guitar players. Here's Rich. Can I ask you to hold this? Uh, Sure. And can you pretend like you like me? <laughs> so how's it going? Good. Good. It's a, it's a pleasure to speak with you. Yeah. I just saw you at Bottle Rock. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah that was fun. Yeah. Those cabinets, so the, the two Voxes are, and the, the Blues Breaker, are, are you actually playing through those? Or yeah, yeah. Are, you don't have a... Uh, the one Vox is a backup in case one dies. Okay. So I'm playing with, through the, the Blues Breaker and my Vox... Uh, and then the two below it are these ca- custom cabinets, yeah. and then I was running that with my Silver Jubilee. Okay, and the so and you go b- into both equiplexes or or yeah. Well, uh, I have one on a short slap back, and then one for a long. Okay, yeah, yeah. Are you using in ears? Are you using the monitors? No monitors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the stage pretty loud. Yeah, it's pretty loud. Yeah, it's pretty loud on stage. Yeah. And the Zamatus that you're playing is that the the electric one? Is that like an original from Tony? Uh, no, that one is another one that was made for me. Okay, so, but it sounds great. I yeah. like it. Yeah, it, yeah. it looks fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Also, yeah. and the the acoustic Zamatus is that was the first that when when Zamatus first got all the schematics from Tony after he passed. They wanted to try to make acoustic guitars, so they sent these those uh, schematics to Loudon in oh, okay. Ireland, uh-huh. and Loudon made the first three prototypes, I okay. think, and that's one of those. And oh, okay. it's, it's fucking great. It's yeah. a great sounding guitar. <laughs> right yeah, really. Good. And the, were you waiting for this so that you could play the your your Martin model? Yeah, well, we were waiting for it. Yeah, which is cool, but yeah. you know, it's and then we have to get it all live ready but it's great sure yeah what, yeah and as a made us what kind of pickup system do you use same amulet amulet yeah okay. yeah how heavy is that that pickup unit it's not, not bad no no way no no like like the lr brags lr yeah, bags some of them are really heavy, really heavy no that one i don't even notice okay cool. yeah, yeah yeah and as far as a di do you use any like preamp di uh i run everything through two neve 1073 mic pre's oh wow yeah <laughs> You're talking about my technology, yeah. your technology. <laughs> exactly. <yeah. laughs> when you played with, with Bad Company, were you using open tunings then? Yeah. To, you were? Well, yeah, but Mick was too. Okay. So he wrote a lot in Open G. Oh. So I, I, he, and when I talked to him, he was like, man, it'll be great. Go ahead and you know, knock yourself out. So I was like, all right. Yeah. yeah. The, but the, the original songs weren't in. I mean, he wrote them, but but when when it was performed. I mean, some of them he probably played standard tunings, but I know some of them were re- recorded in Open G too. Okay. Yeah. 
as far as open tunings for your uh, writing songs, is, is almost everything in an open tuning? No, I mean, I, I write a, a decent amount in standard. Uh-huh. Just depends on on the song or whatever it is. And I, but I, I always push and try to sort of create new open tunings. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. The, so you st- you don't just do open, open E, open D, no, open No, I G. do open G, open E, open D, drop D. There's like an open D7 that I fucked around with um, and did it for myself. There's an open C chord or a tuning that I messed around with myself with a low C uh-huh. octave scenario. There's a tuning that I did that's all... <laughs> A's and one D. Oh, really? Or all D's and one A. Uh, and then, uh, like, uh, what else? Um, Dad Gad sure. and some other stuff. Yeah. There's like 15 tunings that yeah. I that I do. When you're so when you when you guys have an off night, have you ever to- toyed with the idea of doing Magpie Salute? No. Like, no. <laughs> no. That's enough. Doing one thing is enough for me. <laughs> when you get when you so when you get off the road, are you going to go back Magpie? Or are you going to? Uh, I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, uh, hopefully, I'll I'll rest a little bit. But yeah. uh, you know, I mean, we we kind of stayed busy. We're talking about making a new record next year. So sure. Me and Chris. The nineteen seventy two thing that came out in April. Yeah. Who picked the song? Me and Chris. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, th- we wanted to do stuff that we thought we could add something, you know, just kind of that we could do well. Some of the, of which we kind of stuck to the original. Some we kind of tweaked a little bit. Yeah. But it was cool. Yeah, it's absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That's badass. Really good. And was Fen playing on those too? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because you can't find liner notes anymore. Oh, you can't? There's no liner notes? Well, I'm sure in the world there's liner notes yeah, somewhere. Yeah. It's hard to find. Unless you go to All Music. I don't know if it's updated oh, yet. Oh, shit. Well, I don't know. I uh no, Sven was there. Everyone, everyone oh. played, and everyone that's playing with us currently played. Okay, right yeah. on. <laughs> Which Very is good. Cool. Yeah, yeah. So you're thinking about doing a new record? Yeah, we're. we're I've been writing and sending Chris songs. Uh-huh. And we've been working with George Draculius again. So, okay. Yeah, which would be right cool. On. Any plans of touring when you tour beyond this with Dirty Honey? No. No, I, no, not right now. Uh-huh. I mean, they do their thing. That yeah. well, that was like last year thing, yeah. and it was. Cool. I saw that at Conquer Pavilion. Yeah, yeah, and they're great. Uh, yeah. But no, I mean, you know, we kind of did that, and yeah. now we'll do some other stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right on. Uh, well, I appreciate your time. Cool. Uh, hopefully, man. I, like someday, I could do like a full length. Yeah, yeah. Something with you. Cool. Dude. Yeah. Sounds good. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Have Guitar Will Travel. You can catch up on all the things I'm doing at thedeadlies.com. And I'm on all the social media platforms as well. And please support Vintage Guitar and all the wonderful things they do because they do many, many wonderful things for us guitar players. Thanks. Please subscribe. Please tell a friend. And I'll see you guys next week. Bye, guys.